This morning's talk is called Glorious Purpose. Um, I had a, a spiel to kind of to go in regards to it, but um, I might get to that a little later. But it was inspired by by uh, this this character that I'm 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 in love with. I love his background, and it, and it's Loki. Um, for those of you who don't know, he's he's a mythology uh, a, a god um, of mischief, a god of storytelling. And uh, in this particular series that is that recently came out, um, he he learned a lot about himself. He saw he he experienced different versions of what his life could be like, what his life has been like, and it was it's in a beautiful heroic story. Um, and so it, I might get to it because it really does tie in very well. Um, but it, this this is definitely inspired by it. It began with a question. What do you wish people could ask you? That's the question that I had asked uh, my team uh, one of recently. And I, I tend to ask a lot of questions. I love, you know, it's nice to kind of catch up. How's your weekend been? What you've been doing? Um, but I love like this kind of off questions, the silly questions. Like this one question that my wife asked me that I ask everyone now. It's, if you could be a spoon, a fork, or a knife, which would you be and why? And I feel like it's very telling of a personality. It's very telling for what someone finds really important, especially in that moment. Or a question like, if money was no object, what would you do with for the rest of your life? Or, what is the, mo what is the scariest thing you've ever done? So those questions I love because it kind of goes beyond, what have you been doing lately? And it moves into what are people's motivations? What are their fears? What are they willing to do? And so I had asked this question, what do you wish people would ask you? And my team didn't really have an, an answer to that question. It actually took some time. And as I was taking care of some things, the teammate came to us and was like, I wish people would ask, how are you doing? and actually mean it. Like, how are you doing? And in that moment, we all like froze. We stood silent for a moment and someone else came up and asked, was like, well, how are you doing? And she said, I'm not okay. And that like set the tone for the rest of the evening. It was like, okay, there's, there's something here. There's something going on. And she shared her story. She had a, a series of she had a series of unfortunate events happen to her life. Things where she lost loved ones, where she was betrayed by family, and it's, it set off a series of life decisions where she was stuck in the moment. She couldn't move past what had happened, and she froze. Her life stood still, and she just felt really lost. She felt like she had lost herself, lost the sense of wonder in life, lost the sense of passion, and she didn't even recognize herself. She felt like she was caught in this loop and that life had just taken control. Fear set in. And she said, if I expect little from life, I won't be disappointed. 
And that became her mindset. That became the the lens in which she saw life is if she expected little from the people around her if she expected little from herself then she could exist she could get through circumstances uncertainty lack of control in life can allow if we let it for fear to lead it Last year, um, for the summer, my, Mary and I were supposed to go on a trip to Mexico, and we were super excited for it, and last minute we had to cancel, and it was really sad. Um, but this, this, for this summer, we were like, we're, we're going to go. We're going to make it. And so six months in advance, we planned everything. We had to renew our passports, so we made sure we renewed it. We did everything we could, and then two weeks before the trip, our passports still didn't come in. And we were, we were nervous, so we contacted them. They're like, don't worry about it, wait. We waited. A week later, the passports were still not in. So we contacted them. We even contacted, like, the senator of, of or the, the, someone from the Senate in, in one of the, the states where our passports were. We were trying to literally get all the different connections we could so we can get our passport. Five days later, or five days before the trip, I get really sick. Now we're like, okay passport i'm sick what are we gonna do should we cancel and they're like no we really need a vacation but it was really scared it was really scary it was really hard we didn't know what to do we were gonna lose money so we were trying to figure out what we were gonna do so we contact it's 24 hours before the flight we still don't have the passport 12 hours and this is causing me so much stress. 12 hours before the flight, I end up in the ER. I'm like, what is happening here? Do we cancel at this point? I'm like, doc, please, I need to know if I can go or not. And so we're there. It is scary. We're down to the, it's just hours. And 12, hour, 12 hours later, we are on the flight to Mexico. And it was, it was amazing because we had so many surprising um upgrades for our trip but the weirdest thing is that for every good thing that happened something really weird and bad happened like we were our room was upgraded but then we found out that there was a lot of black mold in the room and then we were like then the trip started to get better and then mary got really sick because i got her sick at that point and so the, our trip was like highs and lows and highs and lows and we were trying to figure out like we were trying to really make this work and it was a great trip but it was just really fun uh, and crazy. But this idea was that as much as we try to control events, as much as we try to prepare, things were happening that we had no control over. We did everything we could, and we tried to do whatever we could for ourselves, whatever we could control, but there were so many elements that were completely out of our hands. So I wanted, what I want to do is I want to take a few minutes to talk about what is in our control when life feels out of control. What is in our control when life feels like it's out of control? What do you do when your expectations and dreams for your life begin to slip away? I think for all of us, we've all experienced some sort of loss. Loss for family, loss for 
someone special in your life, loss of a loved one, loss of dreams, loss of a future that we expected, that we wanted, that we dreamed for. And then we just have personal experiences and difficulties. We've got things, health issues, life happens. And not only that, then we have like every week, there's something new in the news. There's something new that's happening, something new that's scary, something new that we've just got to, to, to solve, that the world needs to solve. And it is, there's so much around us. When circumstances push us in a corner, how do we move forward? How do we find the courage, the strength to move into the next moment? How do we move into that space? Well, there is a passage that, oh, oh, ah, this thing. All right, there it goes. Um, There's a passage, there's a verse that, that we often use within the church, and it's Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. This, this, this verse is used, to, used for comfort. It's used to comfort people who don't know what's going to happen next. It's on graduation cards. It's all over Instagram posts. And it's something that we use and draw from. But I want to place this into the context that will really... That will, that will inspire us and empower us for what comes next when we are in those circumstances of uncertainty and loss of control. What's going to move us from observing life into engaging with life? So for centuries, Israel, um, the people of God, they, they teetered the line with God. They teetered the line. Like they had this, God had called them to the, and promised that they had this calling on their life, that they were to, they had this purpose and they teetered. They would, they would, they would stay in that. And then they would move and kind of go over the line of what they desired, what they wanted in a moment, what was most important to them. And this went on for centuries. This went on for so many times. And, and because of that kind of inconsistency, the consistency of being inconsistent on teetering the line, there were so there were a lot of consequences to it. And we know what that is, right? Like when you are inconsistent in life, things happen, right? There we, we experience we experience the consequences, the effects of not keeping our word, not staying true to ourselves and to the people around us. And so with this, the people of Israel they kept on going back and forth and it came to a point where it was about their treatment of others, the treatment with one another and the people around them. And God, God was just like, I'm going to let this go. This is what you want to choose and I'm going to allow it. And so the people of Israel became enslaved by Assyria. And after a period of time, they were freed and you would think they would learn but they went right back into it. And so God gave them more chances. Like, hey, you have a purpose. There's something great for you. And they, again, teetered the line. And so God said, okay, I'm allow it again. And Babylon came in and they destroyed the temple. They destroyed their home. They took everything, destroyed it. And then they, they sent them 
to Babylon. They exiled them. They stripped them away from everything they knew, everyone they loved, everyone they knew, and they scattered people all over the world. And they took a specific group, and this is where Jeremiah 29 is specifically referring to the people who were sent to Babylon. And they were oppressed. They were taken from their land, and they had to move. And as they journeyed through the rubble of what was once their life, they were going to a place that was unknown. They were going into uncertainty, moving to a place where they had, at this point, no more, no more control of what was going to happen. And so they are terrified. And, and the people who are moving, they were split into two different groups of people. They were the people who just accepted the circumstance. And then there were people who were going to fight. They were, the, they, were, they were considered the zealots, the rebellion, and they wanted to engage the rest of the people being exiled, and they wanted to fight the Babylons, Babylonians. And this went counter to what Jeremiah was saying, because God had told Jeremiah, like, this is going to happen, and I need you to know that this is going to be long-term. So stay in this, trust this, and allow it. And, and the rebellions, they, they, they were like, listen, this is, we're only going to be here for a short period of time, and then we're going to fight it. And so this is where we lead into Jeremiah 29. And this is what God has to say to the people. This is what the Lord, Lord Almighty says. The God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and husbands for your daughters so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. I can't imagine what it's like in that moment to hear God say, don't fight this. Don't, in this moment, don't fight this and build homes, plant gardens, have a family. That is literally the counter of what they would want in this very moment. They, the last thing they want to do is to stay in this place that they do not know. This idea of building a house and settle down, that is dedication. That is establishing yourself in this moment. However long this moment of exile in Babylon is, is to, to establish yourself. Make it home. That's, that's a strange place. Right? Plant gardens and eat what they produce. When it comes to planting gardens, that, that takes time. That takes the resources and the knowledge. And when you plant gardens, this is the idea that it's a communal living. So not only are you building houses and settling down, you're, you're, you're creating an economy for, your, for the people there. You're creating a trade, a place so that you can survive and, and flourish. And then it says, have, marry and have sons and daughters. And then when your kids get old enough to marry them, that's a long time to stay in a place of uncertainty, to stay in a place where you have no control over. I don't know about you, but I do not like not being in control. Truth be told, and maybe she really appreciates this, but every time we drive for long distance, I love to be the driver. I can't be, a, I'm Mary, aren't I an awful passenger? 
I'm absolutely awful. Like, we take drives to Long Island to see her brother. I'm awful. I don't know what to do with myself. I fidget. I'm, like, all over the place. It stresses you out, yeah. It stresses me out, too. <laughs> but I, I, I just have to be in control. As much as I would, would like to release it, I, I need it. I need to be in control. And I can't, and that's just driving. I can't imagine what it's like to, to completely upend your life and have to start anew. To start anew. So this idea of, of growing and not, and that's the other thing. It's like when you're captured, when you're taking from everything that you know, it's this idea that everything's on pause, right? Like it's just you're uncomfortable, you just got to get through it. That's not what that's saying. That's saying keep living. Keep living in those moments of uncertainty. And to celebrate life, to celebrate love, to celebrate life, to celebrate the things that come. And this idea that there is still a future because their story doesn't end here of God's commanding them to, to grow their families. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, if Babylon prospers, you too will prosper. Seek the peace and prosperity of the people, of your circumstance, of the situation. What? Like that's, again, another just counter mindset to seek the prosperity of those who have conquered them, of those who have exiled them. And what I love about this is that it shows the heart of God that despite this moment, it's not about you. That's what, that's what God's saying to Israel, like the Israelites, it's not about you. It's not only about your comfort and what, what you perceive to be the moment to seek the welfare of the land, to seek the welfare of the people, to seek the welfare of the city is a change in mindset. It's a change in our spiritual posture. The exiles, the Israelites, they can still prosper while the Babylonians are prospering. We're going to skip 8 and 9 because 8 and 9 are just really about the prophets who had told them that this was going to be a short period of time. And it says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. God's plan for your life. And this idea of this idea that they were going to be there for 70 years, that meant that some of them were never going to see the tomorrow. Some of them were never going to see the promise. But they were still part of the process for the generations and their families to see the, the promise. See, because if they didn't settle down, build homes, if they didn't plant gardens, if they didn't have families then there would be no one to see the tomorrow for. But God was still promising them a future filled with hope and purpose. See, in, in life, things don't last very long. Things don't last forever. There, there's a period of time. 
that things happen, we experience them, and they go. And for some, like, for some there are circumstances where we may be in that circumstance till the end. For some, right? But oftentimes the things that we experience is the circumstances we live in and the uncertainty. Sometimes we linger there too long. And that's usually one of two reasons. Either we haven't learned the lesson that those experiences are supposed to teach us so that we can move to that next space, so that we can grow and take those lessons with us. Or we are holding on to the past and can't move to what's next. And then Jeremiah 29, 12 to 14 Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me, and when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I have carried you into exile. This idea, this hope for tomorrow, that there is a plan, that there is a hope, and that there is a tomorrow that we can expect that we can potentially get to. See, my my friend, my colleague, who wished someone would ask, how are you doing? There was no hope for tomorrow. She was stuck in the past. She was consistently thinking about those little moments that continue to live on in her head. She replays them over and over again, becoming a victim of life, becoming a victim of fear, and not being able to let go. Now, the most important thing to understand, it's like the basis and then everything will move from this part is that God does, God has the future. That God has, has made promises. God has made promise to all of us. And it's not this idea of just plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and future, yes. But there are so many promises in scriptures. And if we don't have, and we don't have, if we're not anchored into something, into a hope for tomorrow, what do we have? What do we have? Because I can guarantee you, my friend does not have a hope for tomorrow, does not know what that next step will bring, does not, cannot bring herself to step into it. So God has the future, and we may not fully understand it, we may not fully agree with it, But that doesn't change the fact that God does hold the future. That God is already in there calling us, moving us into that place. So from that point, understanding that there is a future to go to, there is a purpose and that there is a promise, is that we, our responsibility is to commit to the present. To commit to the moment and the present that God has has allowed us to be in. See, this is dependent on us. God commanded his people to to build homes, to plant gardens, to live life, to not 
stop living. And although we have not experienced this life like the Israelites, we haven't been exiled, we haven't, they haven't destroyed our homes, our experiences make us feel similar inside. Our loss, our, our, our lack of, our, our loss of loved ones, our, our, our loss and, and, and dead dreams, they f- make us feel similar. The difficulties as we experience, the loss, but we can choose to live and we can choose to live well because in all of those moments, the truth still echoes the same. The truth still branches out the same. Commit to the present. And I want to ask you for a moment right now, like in the, the, the difficulties and the uncertainty and the unmet expectations, how are you committing to the moment? How are you living well? What does it look like to build a house in that space, in that moment? What does it look like to being fully present in your challenges today? And there's a word that might help us understand this a little bit better. It's called anamnesis. And it uh, it means recalling to mind. But in, in scripture, in, in, in the church, in Christianity, we, we kind of take it a step further. And it's called a lived memory. And Jesus, the first time, it's not necessarily used, but the first time Jesus, we associate this word, is when Jesus calls, uh, his, or he commands his disciples uh, that every time they break bread, to do this in remembrance of me. And so Jesus takes his friends He takes the people he's poured everything into, all his love, all his grace, all his mercy, all his teachings, all the mind shifts that he has has given to them. He says, "When, when you break bread together, do this in remembrance of me. And so this idea of, of remembrance is a a little bit more in this idea of living memory, lived memory, is like this a painter and their painting when a painter paints they they pour a piece of themselves onto that canvas when an architect builds a structure they 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 pour in their vision into that piece of work when a writer creates a poem or story there's, there's pieces of who they are, ways of life, ways of living poured into that. When a musician creates a melody, when a programmer creates a code or a math- mathematician creates an equation, there is a piece of thought, spirit, life moving into that. And that piece, that masterpiece, that artwork, it lives beyond them. Long after they've passed, we still have the opportunity to use it to experience new thought, to experience new feelings. This idea of a lived memory, the work moves beyond them. Similarly, God has called us, God has said, you are my workmanship, created in Jesus to do good works. 
you are an artwork. You are a masterpiece created to do good works. This idea of living on, moving, and being. See, in many ways, the life that we live is like a song. And we are co-artistries with God in that. We're writing the song with God in all of these moments. And just as these artists and all of these people who create, create something with a purpose, God has created you with a purpose. And in all of these moments and all the difficulties and uncertainties, he's calling us to commit to the moment and live well. Commit to the moment and live well. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat from it. Have children, marry, have children, and, and have kids. And grow. Seek the, the peace and prosperity to live well in the moments that are most difficult to live well in those moments of uncertainty. Because if we don't choose this, then we're stuck. If we don't choose to move forward and step in to tomorrow, then we stay in the past and we live there. Whatever nightmare or video or moment we play on repeat, that is where we will dwell if we don't step into the moment. The second thing, this idea of we have anamnesis, this idea of lived memory, accessing and living well, right? And then the second piece would be to access hope. So not only did God tell his people to live in the moment, he said that there's a promise for you and that in that promise, you can live well today, but you can access, you can access the hope for tomorrow today. He gave them a promise to live from, something to motivate them, something to inspire and empower them to live in the moment. So it, it's not just us living well and trying to, 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 to force ourselves to be okay in the moment. We have to be grounded and anchored in the future hopes and promises. So we have to access the hope that God has has given us and in scripture especially for us now it's Jesus says the kingdom of God is near several times the kingdom of God is here and then in Mark he says the kingdom of God is in you the hope and the promises that you have for your future for tomorrow you can you have it today it is access today and there's a word for that it's called oh no that's the next one it's called prolepsis and it's this idea of the not yet now. The hope of tomorrow, now. And that is what Jesus and, his, and his, the Sermon on the Mount was, was all about. Is that there is a future hope. There is this idea, this telos of the, what is ideal. But you can access it. You can live it now because of God and the Holy Spirit can access that. And so this idea of prolepsis is the not yet now. And, and the easiest way to describe it is a book. When you have a book, you have both the beginning, which you, you already know. You have the present that is revealing itself to you. 
and then you have the end, which is mysterious, but they all exist in one moment, in one book. Or an acorn. Like, you have an acorn which everything inside of it, what it will be, is already inside. These acorns grow and they're massive. 30, 40, 50 feet. These trees have everything that they need inside of them. They, it already exists. And it's this idea of a future hope. That they, the future hope that they will, what they will become. But they have it inside of them. Prolepsis. So we have this idea of committing to the moment and accessing hope. Two things. Once we understand that God has the future, the two things that we have control over in the uncertainty, in the moments where we feel like we have no control, we have the control of what we choose to do, how we choose to live, and what we choose to hold on to. God has a future, and he allows us to choose well into these moments. So I don't have this but up on the board, but I, I would like for you to either write this down or to think about this, but identify the de- your default responses to the crisis moments in your life. I want you to take some time in your community group, with a friend on your own, I want you to identify when these moments of uncertainties come. What is your default response? What are you inclined to do? And in the moments of challenge, and in your current moment of challenge, the second question is, how can you commit to being in the moment? How can you commit to the moment that you're in? And lastly, what promise can you access to give you the hope for tomorrow? What promises of God can you access to give you the hope and the motivation and the inspiration to step into and face your tomorrows?